Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. And I want to give a very warm welcome to Robin Eagles. Robin is the principal strategist of GTMSC, a go-to-market strategy and communications firm specializing in helping businesses grow through strategic consulting and communications. With 24 years of marketing expertise, Robin has led innovation marketing at Acura and communications and PR at Honda and Kelly Blue Book, and lived agency life at both Mission Control Communications with startups and Fleshman Hillard managing various entertainment and technology accounts, including Seagate, Mitsubishi, and Sony Entertainment. Her track record includes trailblazing, cost-effective, high-impact strategies, driving a 62% sales surge among Gen Z and multicultural audiences. Today, Robin and I are going to be chatting about how to control the brand narrative to get the right messaging across to drive sales, but still build an authentic brand fan for consumers. We'll learn what works from Robin's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses miss the mark. Robin, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thanks, Stacey. Nice to be here. Well, what I always love to do is start off with how did you get to here today? Because you have had an interesting story. Yeah, I had 24 years in this uh, space and started out in PR. Always thought I wanted to be a CMO somewhere. So I thought it would be best if I take the long track getting there. I wanted to be an expert in everything, whether it was experiential or social or marketing, advertising. So I've kind of taken the long trail to get to where I'm at. And most recently decided, I don't think I want to be a CMO somewhere. I think I'm going to start my own deal. So I uh, recently lost, launched uh, GTMSC, which is the go-to-market strategies, and uh, very quickly gained a couple of clients and ready to go. Well, I share with you the fact that, you know, that idea of a CMO route is something that once you take on agency ownership, it goes out the window and you realize that you can help so many CMOs and so many businesses and that you can have such a interesting time learning about not just a few companies along the way, but potentially dozens, if not hundreds of companies that congratulations, it is going to be an awesome journey for you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm a lifelong learner and I enjoy learning new stuff every day. So I think, you know, working with various clients day in and day out will give me that opportunity to learn about new industries, new products, and new ways to help consumers. So we started off chatting, you know, before this podcast started about the brand narrative. And that's what I said we were going to be talking about today. You have a lot of thoughts and beliefs about that brand narrative that some people might hold it a little too close to their vest in order to actually get their marketing messaging across in the right ways. Can you share a little bit more? Sure. So yeah, I, when it comes to controlling the narrative, you know, coming from public relations and writing, you know, narratives for different brands, products, and companies, you know, we really try to pick the right words to drive emotions and drive consumers to be interested in buying a product. Um, and all of these things, the narrative part is to help grow the brand, increase mind share, increase market share, ultimately, you know, increase revenues and stock prices and shareholder value. Those are all the things that we have to measure when we think about writing our brand narrative. But I don't, I don't think we take a lot of time in thinking about what happens when we over control the narrative and, you know, making sure that we only stay in a singular lane. Uh, there's one PR video I've seen on YouTube recently where I think it's like Elon Musk's brother, Kimball, 
he's being interviewed and they keep asking him various questions and he has one answer for every single question. And to me, that's just like one of the finest examples of over-controlling the narrative. You know, not staying authentic to the interview, authentic to yourself or the company. And, and it can come out in, in a variety of ways, but that's, that's just one of those things that happens in PR. But I've seen it happen in experiential marketing, social media choices, influencers, events, and product placement. And it's because of fear. I mean, that's the reason why that narrative is controlled so much. Someone is fearful that the wrong thing will be said, the wrong choice will be made, and that a Bud Light uh, event will happen, <laughs> basically. But yeah. those are not usual, typically. They are not. I mean, we are in this heavily political environment right now. And so I think we have to, as brand marketers, whether with companies or agencies, we need to always take a look at what the risks are and educate the executives before we go into this. I mean, there's always going to be major money behind it. So you have to educate these folks on what those risks are and make sure that they're willing to take those risks. I mean, I've tried, you know, eight ways from Sunday to think about Bud Light and what happened. And, you know, as the an executive in the C-suite, I mean, you're really only looking at the fact that you've lost significant market share. You've lost a significant customer base. You've had to lay off employees your regional salespeople who are selling into the bars, they, they're losing money. Um, there's, it's hard to justify that. Even when you say it was one can sent to one person for one three-minute interview, what could seriously the impact of that be? I don't think anyone foresaw what was going to happen there. Not for one second. And, and I don't know how I would have managed that either because I don't, I mean, in crisis communications, and we can go as far as to talk about crisis. I mean, I've had executives ask me, what, how do we control a crisis? What, what are we planning for? And I would say 99 times out of 100, the crisis that happens is the one you didn't plan for. So, you know, when it comes to controlling the narrative, I think being able to take risks, knowing what the risks are and being okay with what, what you know, negative outcomes might happen is really part of the entire plan of this. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone could have figured out Bud Light. It was just like a perfect storm between Kid Rock, between their not necessarily saying the right things on the brand side, between other people getting involved in it. And that was just a mess that right now, you are right, our political environment, it's scary. There's not a lot of yeah. experience in the past that you can use to shed light on how something will play out. I think Disney also, you know, is another example where... Yeah. They get, they've gotten caught up, whether it was uh, what's going on in Florida with their, with their property and Rick DeSantis and the laws going on there to, you, you know, using LGBTQ folks uh, in their films or just changing the, you know, the characters in movies from maybe being white to being some other BIPOC type person. And they've taken a lot of flack for it. But what I see Disney doing is standing behind their user base, their customers, and their own beliefs. And I think that's part of the controlling the narrative for them is by letting people control their own narrative, but not Disney's. Disney is controlling their own narrative by sticking by their ethics, their morals, their beliefs, and their customer base, and thereby controlling their narrative and letting other people say what they want to say. They know their own truth and they're sticking by their own truth. So there's two different ways to handle it. I don't, you know, there's a couple of ways, like you said, with Bud Light, and it was the perfect storm in the, in the company not standing by its own choices. 
correct? And so you mentioned a whole slew of different types of marketing tactics that yeah. people have screwed up the brand narrative with or <laughs> yeah. been afraid to, yeah. right? So what are some of the examples that you were referring to? Yeah, without naming some of the companies that I've worked for, I've seen a whole lot um, working across the board in all of these different areas. You know, we were looking at events to sponsor, uh, but, you know, looking at the makeup of that event and if it wasn't, that's not who we think our customer is, but it touches, you know, our customer can be anybody. Um, when you're selling something as innocuous as a pen, let's just say, I mean, everybody uses a pen. You can't just say that you're, the people who write with your pen are all going to be white people who are 35 and who have two kids. I mean, they're, ne they're never going to be that. Um, so when you have a broad array of products, you really do need to look at a broad array of, array of events and social media opportunities and utilizing all of the different populations to kind of get out there. But I've seen, you know, in social media campaigns where we've chosen to not partner with a specific influencer because they wore a shirt that had foul language on it in a video that they produced six months ago. So it's like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't work with that person anymore. Um, my favorite one it being is hard, but that's really hard because like if you look at a lot of influencers and you go back, if you really want to dial in, you can find very often something because they're supposed to be real authentic people. And so you're asking instead for this kind of land of cleanliness and, you know, perfection because you want to put your brand on it, but in that land of perfection and cleanliness and not being necessarily authentic to their own brand and who they are, you're losing out on why everyone actually is following this person. Uh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, I built some social media campaigns with influencers where I think, you know, in the earlier days of influencer campaigns, it's like, oh, have them take a picture with our product. We'll pay them 10 grand for one post. Um, you know, this was maybe six or seven years ago. I said, this is not how you influence people with one post. You influence people over time. And so you have, we had to give them the product and set up long-term deals with these people. You know, working with Acura, we were able to set up, you know, really great long-term deals with people uh, however, it did take a lot to find the right people that we wanted to use who help, had similar beliefs and values that we had. But I kept trying to convince the executives it's not necessarily about having this person reflect our values so much as it is helping us to reach their audience and influence their audience, because that's what's going to make the difference in all of those KPIs that we're looking to fulfill. Like we've got to, you know, get that sale and we've got to get people interested. And so to reach these, this audience, we're going to have to be more authentic. I guarantee you, my executives use foul language outside of the office plenty. So to see one guy wearing that on his shirt or, you know, partnering with a celebrity on a long-term deal, it's like, we can't control what they do in their everyday lives. And we have to be okay sometimes with some of these smaller things that, you know, yeah. go on in those arenas. Um, sometimes the larger things like Bruce Springsteen, Jeep. That was a big surprise when he unearthed the fact that he had a drunk driving um, incident after they'd shot the Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, working for a car company, I mean, there's a whole lot that goes on. Um, our the legal department gets involved with a lot of this stuff too. So, you know, the le legal department's job is to mitigate risk. And, you know, a lot of times it, it is interesting to have learned that after the fact, because I know that from our brand perspective, these are the types of things we research and research well in advance. 
to mitigate these types of risks as we try to control that narrative and make sure that, you know, at minimum, we know everything that could possibly go wrong so that we can prepare for it as best as possible. You know, I've seen other areas, like I said, where we've had products where we want to put them in a film and we find out, oh no, we pull it from the film, pull it from the film. But, but why? Well, because it's the villain who's using the product, not the hero. We can't have the villain using the product. It's, but in a lot of films, you're rooting for the villain. You know, they're, they're, you they're, have, <laughs> right. And you have Jaguar and Land Rover who actually went the opposite and they firmly embraced the fact that they could be the villain because they needed to be able to compete against brands that were in the luxury vehicle space that had a lot more advertising power than they had. And they found their niche by actually embracing the bad. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot. And again, I think it's behooves us as the brand leaders or the clients or the agency to go in and really educate the executives on these facts and help them to understand. I think they come into our marketing space a lot of the times not understanding how to let go just a little bit to reap benefits in the end. What are some other instances that you've seen? Uh, let's see. I think I had a couple. Let's see. We have... Oh, I think we had uh, we lost a bunch of partnerships with uh, brands or studios because of over control. We had tried to we'd signed a deal with a specific celebrity who had just gotten a Netflix deal. And the Netflix deal was going to give this actor, I think, uh, four different series and uh, upwards of a couple of hundreds of episodes. And we had signed a deal to go across all four shows in every episode. But we were controlling what product they got to use. So it was like, hey, we have, you know, 15 products, but you can only use this one. They said, no, we want to use all 15 of your products across all these shows. We can't have the same product over and over and over and over in every show and every series. It's just not how it works. And they're like, well, if you can't do it, then we're going to be out. I was like, I don't, you know, it took a lot of education to step back. Um, sit down with the executives and explain to them the benefit of having, I know that we're trying to sell this one product right now, but there's this halo effect. It's the brand. And you're looking at the product versus the brand. And the more you, the brand is often just as important. Stop controlling the narrative on this particular product because you need to sell that now and look at the brand overall having a halo across the board and then helping the brand grow, which what is it? Rising tides lift all ships. I mean, this is this is a rising tide situation. No, and I dare say you're dead right in regards to like product placement being used for brand versus product. It's fine for product and it can get a product that is out there, but with timelines on films, things that pop up with oh, yeah. delays, like there have been so many instances where we've worked with a brand and they said, oh, third quarter of this year of this next year we need to have this brand out there and this campaign and then you'll see that the movie gets pushed or there's something that else that changes or the brand's timeline is no longer the same so now even though they promised the studio that they were going to promote during this window they're not launching because they had their own product delays which happened a lot during covid i will tell you a lot of deals that were going on all went belly up then so all of this is, is something that can be impactful. Oh, yeah. I, I We had sent a bunch of product to be part, to participate in a movie. And then the director pulled out. And then they shut down the whole movie. And so, you know, we had 
we're trying to recoup our money and they kept telling us, Hey, well, we'll put you in a different movie. <laughs> like that's, you know, we don't want to be in a different movie. We want to be in this movie. <laughs> so it was, you know, there, there's always things that go wrong. We can't control it all of the time. We do our best for sure, but it's not all that's controllable. How do you think that CMOs and executives can be a little less fearful? Like how can they feel safe to make mistakes? I think, you know, if there are certain steps you can take to kind of take a look at all of the things you need to do to understand like how to go about this process and you determine the risk and the reward of the opportunities being step one, like before, long before I even go sit down with any executive or pitch any program, you know, I kind of have to sit down and think to myself, the last thing I do is go in with a pitch and not have all the answers or at least be able to answer questions they might have. So. Determine the risk and the reward of the opportunity. Second, determine the ROI or the brand impact. I mean, is this going to meet the brand impact goals and targets that we have? Because if it's not, then it might, you know, regardless of how much money it costs or the time it costs, like let, let's not even consider that. Um, I'd like to discuss these concerns with other team members. I don't by any means know everything, nor am I going to think of everything. So I do like to sit down with whether it's an agency my internal team, other folks have worked on projects like this I might bring in who might not even be in my team and ask them, what do you think can go wrong? And we can brainstorm all of those things. So we can kind of, and we plot them. I'll create a matrix and we'll plot them on a matrix. That's like, here's the positive impact versus the negative impact, the neutral impact in the middle. And then you kind of put that on a scale of likelihood of these things happening or not happening in the positive outweighing the negative by taking that risk. So you kind of create the matrix, the four square or the SWOT analysis, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then you kind of, again, like we talked earlier, the, the one crisis that happens is never the one you plan for, but as best you can, you know, plot out some of the bigger, more likely things that are going to happen and figure out how you're going to combat that, not only externally with your audiences, but internally with the C-suite, because oftentimes those battles are about the same size. And then figure out, you know, the other thing we, uh, challenge I had had, but it was a good one. Uh, sometimes you create so much demand, you don't have enough product yeah. to meet the demand. I mean, that's a good problem to have, but what are you going to do when you, because you'll lose out on sales if you create, you know, overcreate demand. So you got to make sure you have, you know, you can balance the right level of how much product you have on hand versus how much demand you're going to create. And if there is a challenge, uh, we got to think about what's the pivot. You know, we just talked about Disney and Bud Light. I don't know that they had any pivots. I think they just kind of froze for a deep second and did what they needed to do. But again, I think coming... Bud Light is still trying to pivot and still trying to figure out what they're doing. And again, yeah. no one has the answer to this one besides yes. time. It, it, I hope time. time helps that too. Although I, <laughs> I did see that picture on social media of Kid Rock drinking about light last week. So <laughs> apparently he's over he it. For that? <laughs> I don't know that he was, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe that will come out too. But, um, you know, just again, I, I come back to when it comes to finding that sweet spot of controlling the narrative and controlling the outcomes, just educating the executives on what the possibilities are. Media train your executives. You know, in a lot of cases where media does need to speak for what has happened or manage a crisis, you want to have the most empathetic leader you can, uh, not just the CEO. And if you know if your CEO is empathetic and can speak 
to the challenge and speak to the customers authentically, great. Ideally, in a crisis, I would look around to see who's on your bench outside of the CEO or you know, marketing lead who can talk about what this really means to the consumers. Stick to your brand. Um, again, like I feel like Disney kind of did it right where they, they knew who they were and they stayed authentic. And we need to do that as brand leaders to guide our C-suite to stick with their personal brand and their company brand. And if there does need to be some kind of action plan after a crisis happens, that there's a person in charge for each and every outcome that you've kind of plotted as high risk. But with great risk comes great reward sometimes. And you know, managing the narrative correctly and managing the outcome correctly can mean all the difference for a brand. I think it's also with the brand, having the knowledge and understanding that this happens, that negative things pop up and that other brands have made it through it. And that typically it is something that is cyclical and that will move on after something else comes into the news cycle, really, and that catches eyes. I think what we don't understand a lot right now is how social media really causes things to grow out of control. And we're learning, you know, we've, we've saw that with COVID. We saw, we're seeing it with Bud Light. We've seen it with Disney. We've seen it with all LGBTQ plus across uh, the entire world. It's not just, you know, with the United States that we have now come to a time where communication is so fast that it used to be that if you had an issue and it came up, you were worried about reporters calling you and talking about it. And now you're worried about the entire social feed talking about it and that it's going to fire boom and get away from you. And that uh, I think the biggest learning lesson is, you know, as you keep saying, that authenticity of standing by who you are and being a good human and a good brand and supporting your people and supporting um, your true beliefs immediately are the only thing that will protect you at all. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, an omni-channel approach in, in you know getting that type of communication out there, being you know generating that authenticity, not just in PR but in social and in through your experiential and through every touch point you have in your customer journey, and plotting that out. You know, again, I'm, so you know we think sometimes building a brand or putting a product on in a movie or running a PR campaign or event is is a single opportunity but uh, you know at the cmo level we know that we've built out a customer journey and it's a long tail approach to how do we reach our customers and how are we going to touch them across a year and a half of a product launch or you know a three-year sustainment plan even for a product or a brand and it's all carefully plotted carefully researched and hopefully you know educated really well but you know staying true and making sure that when you do have a crisis or an issue that you have an omni-channel approach to to talk to your customers talk to the media, talk to your potential customers, and just talk to anyone, but across all the platforms, advertising, marketing, social, experiential, that same message has to come from everywhere for it to have an impact. I think as we are seeing these shifts, one of the big things for executives at companies is that they need more people around them that are smart and capable and who have the ability to give voice and show perspectives that are not necessarily the exact ones that they have. So that's where agencies or other team members really can come in. Because when we're looking at executives who are so in their own world and it's myopic, 
Oh, yeah. And <laughs> that's where things will start going awry, typically. And I have a feeling you've had experience with that. You know, I think I've worked with various CEOs from plenty of startup companies to Fortune 100 companies. Um, you can't get through to all of them. You can do your best. Um, I don't know. I always call this type of thing like survivor, you know, marketing edition. You have to build alliances to stay in the game. And sometimes you have to figure out who your executives trust and who has their ear. And maybe sometimes you have to work through those people as well to really get these points across to them. You know, in some of these big Fortune 100 companies, you're not always going to get 30 minutes to an hour of the CEO's time or a global CEO's time to sit down and walk them through all of these challenges that could occur and, you know, what risks are they willing to take and not willing to take. Um, so, you know, there, there is kind of, you, you know, some, some risks we also have to take about what we bring to the table, but uh, they're not always willing to listen. Um, and if they're not, there's things that we can do to reach them and we can try. Uh, it doesn't mean it's always going to happen. And that's where you end up with very conservative companies, conservative brands, not a lot of risk taking. Um, and uh, I, I used to explain it. It's a uh, does a tree, you know, does a tree fall in the forest if no one hears it? And a lot of brands, they, they get just a bite about that line where they have trees falling every other day, but nobody hears it because they're not making out enough noise. They're not participating in the conversation well enough for anyone to hear it. Because they're scared. They are scared and fear. Look, I get it. Um, again, market share, stock prices, shareholder value is all they care about and trying to think about all of the other details about is this marketing risk really worth losing half of my stock price and losing my shareholders in some cases they're not willing to take any of those risks but you know some risks I, you know there's one i was just thinking about prior to this call that i just it's one of the ones i love um take it you know you get life gives you lemons you're supposed to make lemonade uh wing stop do you remember what happened with Wingstop during the pandemic? I can't, I remember something. I can't even remember what it is. What was it? Well, there was a challenge with supply chain and getting chicken wings. And so somebody brilliant over at Wingstop said, you know what? We're going to change our name for the next month because all we can get are thighs. We're going to change our name to thigh stop. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a brilliant pivot. And it was a brilliant risk. I can't even imagine someone going to the head of brand and saying, hey, I know we're wing stop, but we can't get any wings. We're just going to change our name to thigh stop. I mean, just as a head of brand, I would go, no, no, you're not. <laughs> find my wings. Just get you, find me wings. We'll get our way through this. It's just a month. It's the pandemic. I know we've got tons of like online orders, but this is, you know, but they yeah. did it. And it paid off in spades in the fact that got they got a lot of PR. It did a lot of PR. Um, I know another one, and you're probably well aware of it, uh, is Fiji water at the Oscars. And the blue dress. And the blue, well, it was the fact that, you know, it was on that silver platter and she's walking around. It almost fell out of place so much so you couldn't avoid it. That was a risk. Whoever, kudos to you know, these people who took those risks. And one of my favorite social media risks by far uh, was when the lights went out at the Super Bowl years and ago. Oreo stepped forward. Yeah, it was Oreo, you know, mm -hmm. dunk in the dark. And yeah. I think to myself, you know, when I was working at a Fortune 100 company in the social media team, 
uh, you all of the posts were planned. It was very different. I mean, back in the early days, I think now there's like a war room where we can make you know timely decisions and put stuff out because we understand we understand timeliness. Back at that point in time, I and mean, this was like seven years ago, all the tweets and all of the posts were planned. Nothing was ever going to happen ad hoc because we didn't want to deal with risk. But Oreo showed us that being timely and spur of the moment can get help the brand grow. And they, you know, instead of control, they, they perfect narrative, well controlled and well timed, but probably without approval made all the difference in the world for Oreo. And luckily they had someone on staff that was actually funny. And yeah. Funny wins every time. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> um, funny wins every time. And I think it's great for brands to exercise humor in every way, shape, or form. Um, we did, uh, when I was at Honda, if I could tell a brief story, one risk we were able to take, we pushed the limits on this one, was uh, an April Fool's joke. We were launching the Honda HRV. And it, we were trying to garner greater audiences in like millennial and Gen Z category with that vehicle. And at the time, you know, taking selfies and posting on social media was super hot. So for April Fools, we launched the HRV Selfie Edition. We worked with the RPA ad agency to create a campaign where we created videos and we made the world think for a hot second that we were launching a car that had selfie cams all over the car. So at any point in time, you could take pictures of yourself and post them on social media. Uh, I, I recall legal department and some executives said, that's not safe and we're promoting, you know, you know, not safe actions in the car. We don't want people taking pictures of themselves while they're driving. That would be not, I mean, clearly it was tongue in cheek. We were able to get that pushed through and it was a very successful brand campaign and reaching the audience we wanted to reach, shareability, um, visibility, brand awareness, all clocked up based on that campaign. And again, because it was relatable and it was funny. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Ryan Reynolds, take a look at him and his brand, right? Everything is relatable and funny. I mean, Very he's funny. built brand after brand by using that. Everything Ryan Reynolds touches is funny. He's naturally funny. So having him involved in your brand in any way, shape or form is always going to be great. He's just one of those personalities and I'm sure he commands millions for it. <laughs> But, you know, even he, you know, his agency was involved when um, you had the Pelton uh, incident on Sex in the City, the new yeah. uh, yep. generation of it with Mr. Big, who had a heart attack, attack after being on a Pelton. And they switched. They came to the rescue. They're like, we have a plan. We're going to shoot a commercial with Mr. Big and the Peloton instructor. And we'll see this like afterlife moment for him. And then you had rolling out this whole inappropriateness that he's been charged with. So it happens even to Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, but that also goes back to this whole idea of you know, not letting the villain or, you know, not if the guy had a heart attack on the Peloton, doesn't mean everyone's going to have a heart attack on the Peloton. But they went with it and they fed that narrative. Um, they didn't con that, you know, like I said, there's controlling the narrative and there's over controlling. And then there's that Goldilocks sweet spot. And I think in that particular situation, they over controlled it in the wrong direction. No, they dove. 
off all of their market share. I mean, that was a stock crisis and happening. They had other issues going on at the time that was probably dialing in and causing that, at, uh, you know, attribution of um, clients and using, but it was a nightmare with what yep. they actually did. Yeah. You know, controlling the narrative's not always easy, but, you know, it shouldn't be done in a vacuum. It shouldn't be done as a single decision maker. You know, the CEO, while he definitely has the final decision in a lot of cases, um, you know, getting, taking the time to pitch these things and understand those opportunities and risks versus rewards will help, you know, brands and marketers make good decisions. And again, and if the decision comes out and, you know, something does go wrong, stick with who you are, stay authentic to your brand, back up your brand and your brand beliefs. Um, I think it's when you waffle and you go back and forth and you're not really sure who you're supporting, whether it's yourself, your customer, your brand, or your shareholder, is when you see some of these people get in trouble. So Robin, sounds like a great time for you to share how people can get in touch with you. You can get in touch with me through my website, which is gtmsc.com. There's a contact me uh, on that website, or you can reach me at Robin. Um, You can reach me through the website at gtmsc.com. There's a contact me section on that website, or you can email me at Robin at gtmsc.com. Good. So what would be your last parting word of advice to our listeners today in regards to taking risks with your brand narrative? Make sure you build out that, that chart where you can balance your risks versus your rewards and how well you're going to meet your overall goals. Building out that four square and helping your executives understand what those risks versus the rewards are. When you, I think you know most executives respond well to data. So when you have this chart, you've got plotted out what's high risk, what's low risk, what's going to reach your KPIs and what's not. You have backup for all of the issues that could go right and could go wrong. And you have all of the I's dotted and T's crossed. I think you'll be able to really reach the C-suite and help them understand that you've done your homework. You've researched every possible outcome and you understand what's going to reach the audience, achieve those goals and mitigate the the most amount of risk. But again, I, I believe, I really believe controlling the narrative is important, but over controlling it can really hurt your brand. So, you know, take some, take a little bit of risk, but not too much and make sure that whatever happens on the backside of that, you, you have a response for. Well, Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. I had a lot of fun chatting with you into the whole world of risk. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, Robin and I spoke a lot about product placement. If you have interest in understanding how product placement can be a non-risk for your brand, reach out. I'd love to chat. Have a great one.